Hello and welcome to Will We We Make Make It Out Alive? I'm Amy, the poop detective. And I'm Jen, the magical mapper. Welcome to episode eight, Up Chuck and Chum. Gross. Yeah. In this episode, we'll learn more about why you should never voluntarily go into the field with a biologist for their birthday, Mm. river restoration with the Port of Tacoma, some made-up magic, wait a minute, (laughs) (laughs) with GIS, and river restoration opportunities. So, for this episode, we met up with Port of Tacoma biologist, Jen, not to be confused with Jen the Magical Mapper. She's different because she spells her name J-E-N-N. And she's little Jen. Also that, apparently. And we talked to her about some of her recent restoration work on various port properties. She recently asked her coworkers to do her a birthday favor by joining her in the field. Seemed harmless enough. She asked them to help her distribute some marine nutrients into the riparian area. I mean, that's a good idea, right? Sounds super reasonable. And they certainly hadn't asked her if she wanted a gift or implied that they were going to get her anything, but she still requested their attendance. Hmm. Since Jen's already sleeping, what's a riparian area, Jen? What? Um... Jen says no. Also, a riparian area is the area where, like, the land meets a river or stream, and, like, special plants live there that love water. Nice save this time. Also, (laughs) did you turn into a valley girl? Maybe. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, that's going to be a special treat. (laughs) She did tell them that they should bring throwaway clothing and gloves, because... How can you have birthday fun without those things? Mm. So when they arrived that morning to help her out in the field as a birthday gift, uh, that was in air quotes, which you, our listeners, cannot see. Yeah. So when they arrived, apparently they were not exactly stoked to see a big pile of dead fish. Oh, what? But they were very good sports about it. Oh, that's nice. Which you can see in a video that... We have a link to on our website. So how exactly were they moving marine nutrients into the riparian area? And uh, what's up with that pile of dead fish? Well, that's where the chucken or up chucken chum (laughs) comes into play. Mm. Chum are a type of salmon. In real life, the chum would swim up the river, spawn, and die bringing with it the nutrients that it had stored from its years out in the ocean, Hmm. back up into the freshwater ecosystem. And what was found, pretty much as part of an accidental study, is that flinging dead fish results in notable increased growth in plants in the riparian area. What what do you mean, like, an accidental study? I'm glad you asked. So... There is a professor with the University of Washington who's been taking students up to Alaska for over the last 20 years to study the salmon that swim up the creek to spawn. Hmm. However, to ensure that they did not count the same dead salmon twice, they ended up flinging the salmon onto the riverbank. Sounds fun. I mean, it's one way to make sure you don't count the same dead salmon twice. Right. The lead scientist decided that they should fling the salmon just to one side of the river as an impromptu study. 
Oh, I see. And so for the last 20 plus years, they've been going out to the site, counting the salmon and flinging fish on one side of the river. Hmm. He wasn't really sure how long he should keep that part of the study going, but he decided after 20 years that they'd take some tree cores. He thought they probably could have done it at 19 or 21 years, but it was 20 that they chose. That is literally part of the video or story. I can't remember which. I think it was a video uh, link on our website. And he did talk about that, which we thought was kind of funny. (laughs) The cores showed that the trees that were growing on the salmon carcass bank grew faster. Basically, the salmon was acting as a fertilizer. Hmm. So now salmon slinging or chum chucking or catapult and coho is used in restoration projects to bring those marine nutrients back into the riparian area. And it's a great way to use salmon carcasses that are created at hatcheries when they collect the eggs and spermies. Ew. Milk. So, back to the port of Tacoma and birthday chuck and chum. The port biologist and her co-workers loaded the fish carcasses into five-gallon buckets and they would walk a few hundred feet into the riparian zone where they would attempt to chuck, hurl, toss, sling, throw, or yeet, yeet! The salmon into the trees and the water of Clear Creek. The youth will understand. Uh, You're too old, Jen. One of her birthday friends was walking with a bucket of fish, which spilled and the fish slid out of the bucket. Her friend said she was fine, but then she started... (laughs) She never did puke. But one of the other ones said that he threw up in his mouth a little bit. Just a little bit, though. At the end of the day, they distributed over a thousand dead fish. Wow. The port biologist called it a huge birthday success. And we question whether we should offer to help her celebrate her birthday in the future. Uh, yeah, I think I might pass. I, I feel like the bring clothing that's throwaway clothing that's not a very good sign no if she ever asked me that um you're gonna be i'm busy gonna be that like day? busy that day yeah mm-hmm. well the port actually has quite a few interesting restoration and habitat mitigation sites uh but today we're gonna focus on the upper clear creek site which is one of their newest sites and where the chum chucking took place mm. so it's fully constructed i believe it was a six-year process to construct with design and everything. And the port just wrapped up the second year of monitoring and maintenance of the site. Whack fact, there are three types of habitat mitigation sites. Compensatory, advanced, and bank. Compensatory means that you're creating the habitat site during or after the impact to the aquatic resource has occurred. So you're basically mitigating for something you've already done or are in the process of doing. Advanced is when you build a mitigation project for another planned project that you've identified that will impact an aquatic resource. A mitigation bank is where you build a habitat mitigation site, but you don't have a specific project identified that you're mitigating for, but you want to build the mitigation site now and either construct another impactful project later or sell the mitigation credits to another entity. The Upper Clear Creek project was partially compensatory and partially banked. Although they're still negotiating some of the details on that. Yeah, the port biologist doesn't worry about those details, though, because as she likes to say, she's the bugs and bunnies part of the mitigation projects. Mm. 
She comes in after construction is complete and ensures the site is maintained and performing well and that all of the critters are happy. That sounds like the right place to be in the process. Right? Uh, So let me give you a little bit of background on this site. It was chosen because there's another mitigation site downstream and this property became available. The property is a former fallow farm field and the Clear Creek Channel was basically an artificially straightened ditch through the area. There wasn't enough capacity for flooding events and water and salmon would overflow the berm and salmon would be stranded in the farm field. I guess that's one way to get your marine nutrients up into Mm. the riparian slash farm zone. Right, but then most of the stranded fish were juvenile, so they never had the chance to actually like make it out to sea or reproduce. And probably too small to be so yeah, very fertilizer-full. Well, and they didn't have the marine exactly. nutrients because they never made it out to sea. And not only did the stranded fish include salmon, some were threatened Chinook salmon, which are a particular favorite of our endangered southern resident orcas. Not the orcas! I know! So the purpose of this project was to reconnect the floodplain and to reconfigure Clear Creek to a more natural meandering channel in order to provide habitat and refuge for baby salmon to rest up and get fat before going out to the big dangerous ocean. That way they have a better chance of survival and coming back to make more babies. They're already seeing success with a lot of coho, chum, and maybe pinks. They'll let us know later this year. There are rumors of bull trout, which also are- known as bull chow, according to Jen's prior version of um, this one. <laughs> Jen says no. They're also known as char, another threatened species, using the site as well as cutthroat. And the very first fish they saw when they breached the berm to allow the water to flow into the new channels was a Chinook. It's like they were saying, it's about damn time. Right? (laughs) Whack fact. Success to the regulating agencies doesn't include fish. They're required to conduct two fish surveys per year, but they don't have to actually find any fish to meet the regulatory requirements. That's kind of nice of them because even if the site isn't perfect... There are a lot of other things that could be going on with fish that the port has no control over. Like if there's some kind of disease or spill in the ocean or overfishing or whatever, the site might not get a minimum number of fish. So Sounds like they're slacking. No. So most of their regulatory requirements are actually around things like percent vegetation cover, plant diversity, water quality. Ooh, I like water quality. Right. And whether they're a minimum acreage of healthy wetlands. Mm. The port does go above and beyond, though, and does supplemental surveys to actually try to find fish. Um, They actually go above and beyond at all of their sites. Um, Some of the sites are 30 years old and have no regulatory requirements to continue to maintain them. But the port has its own requirements. Because they're committed to sustainability and because they spent a lot of money on these sites, they're 100% committed to maintaining them long-term. And we'll talk a little bit more about that in the citizen science section. Whack fact, the main goal of all of the port's habitat mitigation projects is salmon recovery. This is partially due to a 1988 land settlement with the Puyallup tribe. We'll link to the agreement in our show notes. Another thing to note is that this site is not accessible by the public. You can see it from Pioneer Way, 
But part of the agreement with the regulatory agencies was that it would be a closed site to limit impacts from allowing humans. You know, if you're going to allow humans, you need things such as bridges and trails. And if you allow dogs in, these can lead to a lot of issues and also can lead to like spread of invasives and things like that. So some people aren't happy that the port spent money on something that's not accessible to the public, but really this project is about salmon recovery. The port biologist had some advice for other public agency folks who are considering their own habitat projects, which is to separate out the earthwork contract from the landscaping contract. It's more work in the beginning, but you have more control over the landscaping work in the end. When projects are combined, the landscaper is generally the sub and there is not a lot of recourse or incentive for the prime contractor to ensure that the landscaping is done well or even completed at all. It's often an oversight, but it's actually a critically important part of the project, especially when we're talking salmon habitat restoration. On another note, we also asked who would win in a fight, a trash panda or an escaped farm fish? The port biologist responded with, trash panda, duh. But who's the real winner here? Because nobody's a winner in the case of farmed fish. (laughs) The port biologist has a lot of interesting ideas on studies moving forward, and a lot of these involve the use of GIS. And this brings us to the GIS tool section of the episode. So I want to talk a little bit about a technology that the port is planning to use, which is called pit tagging. It stands for Passive Integrated Transponder. What it actually is is a small radio transponder that is inserted, (laughs) attached to the fish. I think they're inserted. Okay. And then when this fish swims through an array, then the receiver picks up their number. So each transponder has a number. And the difference between this and other tracking methods is that this only tracks the fish where the arrays are set up. So you can map the arrays, and then each time a particular fish passes through, and see how often the fish passes that spot, but you can't track exactly where the fish is going at all Not like the long-live The King's Fish Tracker amazing awesomeness. Exactly. So depending on how you set up your arrays, you can ask questions like how much time are the fish hanging out in particular parts of a stream or river, or how the fish are interacting with man-made structures such as culverts. And you could take your data from the arrays and plot the points in GIS, but why not go a step further and do a hotspot analysis? I've got a hotspot I need to do some analysis on. Um, Jen says no. So... The GIS tool I want to talk about today is called Hotspot Analysis. And with this, you can either get results based on absence or presence, or you can weight your points and use the weighted values to determine the significance of presence. For example, if you just want to see the areas that fish are present, you would use the optimized Hotspot Analysis tool. But if you not only want to see where the fish are present, but count the areas they spend more time as having higher significance, you would want to use the hotspot analysis tool. It's a little counterintuitive to me, but that's just me. If you just want a quick map showing hotspots where fish are present but don't want to mess with these tools, you can upload your data to ArcGIS online, add it to a map, and symbolize it 
with the hotspot symbology. And ArcGIS automatically does the analysis for you. What? Exactly. Oh my goodness. You of course have more control when you use the tools in the desktop software, but it's a lot easier and you don't really have to understand what you're doing if you just upload it to ArcGIS online. So I'll explain in more detail in the GIS tools blog and link to some resources there on how to actually run these tools. Exciting. Yeah. I've actually um, dabbled in the hotspot tools a little bit myself. Um, TMI. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I don't really know what I was doing. I don't know if Mm. uh, in the blog, if you'll talk about kind of some of the settings and how those influence what you're looking at, but I just kind of played around with it. Mm -hmm. And um, I used it with fecal coliform monitoring data and Uh flow and fecal coliform results. Mm-hmm. And then created like a hotspot map along Hood Canal that showed Ooh. like where the poopiest areas were. So magical. So magical. Moving right along. We also asked the port biologist if she had any hot citizen science or stewardship opportunities. She told us that the port always does something for Earth Day and that this year they will probably be, wait for it, wait for it. I'm waiting for it. Weed pulling at Goli Haiti <laughs> restoration site. Did I say it right? Gogli Haiti. Gogli Haiti. Anyways. Uh, well, most people want to plant a tree for Earth Day. It's not really the best time to plant. So instead, they're helping prepare a site for planting in the fall. Speaking of which, Earth Day, as I am sure you all know, is coming up on Monday, April 22nd. Jen, what are you doing for Earth Day? Well... Earth Day is every day. Good answer. Also, remember a couple episodes ago when we were talking about bees? Yes. And the Bee Watch app? Yes. I used it for the first time this past weekend. Mm-hmm. It was so exciting. I saw a bee and I took a picture of it and I uploaded it and it's on the map. I like how you did like a redirect here. <laughs> it almost sounds like you're not doing anything for Earth Day. Um, Earth Day is every day. I do this podcast for Earth Day. (laughs) Whack fact. Earth Day was started in 1970 as a way to raise public awareness about air and water pollution. Throughout the years, the Earth Day organization has worked to broaden, educate, and activate the environmental movement across the globe. Whoa, so lofty. Mm Mm-hmm. Earth Day is a great day to get outside and participate in a restoration or stewardship project. Whether it's sharing your love and knowledge of birds, cleaning up trash from the beach, pulling weeds, or even just harvesting some non-poopy shellfish from a local beach. We have done a lot to protect the environment since 1970, but it seems we're making some huge back steps currently, and those could be very costly. But really, if we want to make it out alive, we must make every day Earth Day. Just like Jen says. Exactly. When we were talking to the port biologist, she also talked about other opportunities to volunteer with a variety of local groups, such as the nonprofit for Terra or the Puyallup Watershed Initiative. The port biologist is also looking for new ways to engage local public schools. She's got a fabulous pipe dream where she'd like to get math and science students to compete for the best design of a dead fish launching cannon. Okay, she said device, but cannon. (laughs) So that they can more effectively discharge fish into the riparian zone, because manually slinging salmon is hard. 
Also, she's losing all of her friends because you can only trick somebody into moving marine <laughs> nutrients into the riparian zone once. Exactly. That sounds about right. <laughs> she's thinking that it would probably have to be a non-electric device and that they could have to be able to easily transport it to the riparian zone. Do you have students in the local area that would be interested in this challenge? Contact us and we'll put you in touch with the port biologist to help keep her and her coworkers from another birthday celebration of manual fish flinging. This is just an idea at this point, but hopefully it'll come to fruition. We'll also have a link to the Port of Tacoma biologist blog on our website. All right. Well, thanks for joining us for episode eight, Up Chuckin' Chum. In this episode, we shared some inside stories into the port biologist's ideas of fun, how slinging salmon is good for ecosystem restoration, different types of restoration work with the port, how to use the hotspot tool, and some local restoration opportunities. Please join us for our next episode. May Day. May Day. The ship is going down. Also, please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Please let us know what you think at outalivepodcast.com or facebook.com slash willwemakeitoutalive. Until next time, will we make it out alive? You know, should we talk at all about um, old Greta? Huh? Old Greta Thornburg. You know, no. the girl, the 16-year-old from the Scandinavias. Oh. I mean, they literally just Ooh. held a um, student was... walkout on Friday worldwide, which I did not oh. think got very much press. I did not know about that. But I you heard also... she got no- nominated for a Nobel Prize. I did hear about that as well. Hmm. But yeah, they just, 165 countries, I think, participated. Wow. Um, we certainly had kids, at least I saw Bellingham and somewhere else uh, in the Washington area here that walked out wow. for climate change, which of course is kind of her yeah. thing that she's been doing for however long. Right. Um, so anyways, there, we mentioned it. If we want to include that in somewhere, we can stick it in. And if we don't, we can skip it. <laughs>